Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Inherited Will, a One Piece podcast. A weekly podcast discussing each week's manga chapter and a reread of past chapters. My name is Thomas. And I'm Jordan. No announcements this week. We'll be jumping right on in to 1017, then later chapters 218 through 228. Here we go. Ten seventeen, the order. We're starting with Buggy getting the spotlight, which is pretty great. Well deserved. I can't tell where that last puzzle piece is supposed to go, but I have an inkling from the monkey's whole deal that it's gonna be Buggy's face, and I just don't, I don't know how to feel about this. Yeah, I don't see anywhere else that it might go. Yeah, just by looking at it, it's no missing parts. So unless it's going. To his face or his crotch. Really not uh Yeah, neither too are many good. Options there. <laughs> yeah. But Buggy seems pleased about it all the same. So good Yeah. He's been through a lot. His brain is scrambled, I'm sure. All I'm saying is please be gentle, Mr. Puzzle Monkey. That's all. I believe uh, that takes us right on into the proper chapter. Here we go. I believe last we left off, Tama had taken control of the A V system of the entire place. About to make a big ol' announcement. Queen has some words about it, though. Spoots her into falling down. <laughs> Poor Tama. <laughs> it is very convenient that the, like, infrastructure of the system still works, even though Bao Huang is out of commission. Like, she's not dead. Probably unconscious. Uh, just very interesting and convenient that it works. We still don't really understand how it works at all we don't know if it's tech based we don't know if it's like a devil fruit bao huang is a smile user so i don't know if that like jives with regular devil fruits or not but yeah maybe it does could be a power maybe i doubt it will be explained but uh the mysteries just keep popping up indeed before she actually used to make her announcement though we popped to the fourth floor to touch in with your boy jimbei not complaining about how uh, they're kind of ganging up on him with the gifters and uh, who's who himself. He says here that he anticipated this exact situation, so he's not going to whine about it. Good boy, Jimbei. Jimbei is pretty smart. He's been around the block. He knows what to expect. Uh, I don't know if he expected a lion man with four arms, but only three swords? It's... uh. You gotta have one fist for punching, I guess. <laughs> That's either his punching hand or his blocking hand. One of the two. You can't block with swords. You should probably get a shield. <laughs> and, uh, other than that, the only thing that really stands out here is... Well, it only stands out because of something that happens later in the chapter, but uh, you can see that who's who's sheath is actually quite long. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Indeed. Uh, we'll touch on that in a bit more detail in a few more pages. Mm -hmm. Jimbei notes here, will be kind of already soon to be the case, that the role of the Straw Hats is to keep the officers, uh, the Toby Ropo and Up, occupied. Frankie having a similar trouble with, uh, I don't remember what they were called, I think like Sasaki's main gifter goons had a specific squad name, but I don't recall what they were. But he's having trouble with goons as well. As is Inu Arashi with Jack and Co. on the following page. Everyone's having a rough go with these uh, bonus boys trying to get in the way of their fights. Not cool Kaido pirates. Not cool one bit. Yeah, it's it's really set up to be a bad time in the, in the first half here. But it's really okay. It's all right. Indeed, I think we'll find that very soon it'll be just fine. The gifters continue to tear it up a little bit, but Tama finally gets around to making her announcement. She says, gotta change sides, fight for Luffy and Momonosuke. And uh, they do immediately. Ta-da! Yay, we win now, right? <laughs> kinda. I actually went back and kind of crunched the numbers on this last chapter uh, when CP0 is talking about it. They say that the new numbers after the Pleasures and Co. swap size because of Queen 
they were 20,000 Kaido versus 7,000 Luffy and Co., right? But according to the wiki, I didn't go back to the, the manga and source this, but according to the wiki, there are only 500 total gifters in Kaido's crew, so the numbers don't really change all that much, but the gifters are among the buffer forces of Kaido. Yeah, we, we see them change the tides immediately in every situation that they're involved in. Like, sure, the numbers are not adding up, but I guess this is turning out to be more like chess than Go? I don't know. <laughs> or, like, because, yeah, you have to consider the pieces' powers. Right. There's no turning of opponents in chess, but, I don't know, I can't think of a real good analogy, I guess. Uh, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. In Go, all the pieces are created equal. Chess, they are not. And in this case, the gifters are pretty much the top brass of Kaido's crew, except for, like, you know, the Toby Robo and above. So everyone else, the majority of these 20,000 people that uh, Kaido still has left, they're like nothing <laughs> compared to the dudes that we just turned to our side. So that works out pretty well for us. Woo. Gotama finally doing that thing that we suspected she was going to do since uh, the first chapter of Wano, I'm pretty sure, 100 chapters ago. <laughs> it's sad because that kind of actually made the payoff less for me. Like, this was not a big reveal. This was not unexpected at all. I was just like, okay, cool, this is finally happening. Yeah, exactly. It's not mind-blowing or anything, and it's a little sad to see it be, you know, quote-unquote predictable. But that's exactly what it was. <laughs> we knew it was coming. Yay, it's here. Let's see what it does, I guess. Indeed. While it's, like, flashing to uh, all the the gifters and such that have uh, been turned and all this and everyone's reacting and all that, we checked in with Shinobu in Momonosuke for a hot second, confirming that they indeed didn't die, as I'm sure somebody thought they might have. Not made very clear in this little panel how they survived just yet, but they do appear to still be in the air, so I'm sticking to my Shinobu kite theory from a couple weeks ago. I guess, like, that panel, it provided some questions, if nothing else, because... It sure looks like Momo is crying equally about Kinemon and Kiku dying and being high up in the air. Like, that is... This seems like a weird time to do a gag, even if he, like, has a fear of heights. I, I feel like the death of his second father figure in Kiku would probably overwrite that in the moment. Uh, that's why the speech bubble there is bigger for Kinemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's more ends in it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I agree, but the dude can be upset about two things at the same time. I do not fault Momonosuke for that too much. <laughs> it's been a rough day for him. Yeah, it just feels unnecessary, and it's it's a weird thing to nitpick, but the rest of the chapter has me a bit in a nitpicky mood. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that specifically Briscola... The Gorilla Punch guy has been swapped to our side. I know you were worried that he was going to be left out. Uh, I'm more pleased about Hamlet. One of the most terrifying things to imagine in real life, but <laughs> in the manga world, just funny. Indeed. And no doubt a very useful ally to have. <laughs> yup. I think he was a headliner. Uh, same as Horselina then, right? Indeed. So even among the gifters, he's like the top brass there, just below the Toby Robo in terms of like rank at the very least. Okay. Then we pop back to the fourth floor for a hot check-in with uh, Poker, the dude with snakes for legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just dancing around, eating people's necks, having a Indeed. good time. Doing all the fun stuff that people with snakes for legs do, really distressing who's who. Yeah. <laughs> Not having a good time. No. That poor man. Uh, crab guy, bug whip lady. Uh, don't really know what's going on. 
with the guy next to Crab Man. He's got like horns and claws. But... I think he's a beetle boy. Like, look at the wings uh, on his back and the horns. Yeah, you're probably right. Don't know if beetles have claws, but this man does. But I'll give a little bit of a artistic leeway to Oda in this case. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so we see that some of the Marys are still scattered throughout. Uh, one of them's still playing some sick tunes, which I'm excited for in the anime eventually. <laughs> um, and yeah, we check back in with CP0. And they are checking in just to be confused for one panel. <laughs> Yeah, they gotta touch in every now and then. Be reminded they exist. Indeed. Then we're back in the main floor. Queen, twice as confused as he has two question marks and two separate speech bubbles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really wondering what's going on with all these gifters that they were supposed to be on their side. But he figures it out pretty quickly that Otama was the one behind it. Yeah, uh, it just makes sense. It's pretty, pretty clear cut. <laughs> Indeed. Uh... Starts charging up a laser blast, about to fire it, but uh, your boy Sanji comes in with the save, hits him with a fire kick right in the back of the head, hard enough to make the fire come out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is kind of what happened there, huh? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't notice, but that is that's pretty good. I, I paid more attention to Queen yelling, <laughs> It's a good look for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not as good as his man-beast form, though. Indeed. His neck gets a little bit shorter. Yeah. But uh, the rest of him gets quite a bit longer. His tail's still absurdly long, especially considering the relative size of the rest of him. He's got Dr. Octopus hands coming out of all over the place, including his uh, hair braid. So yeah. that's fun. I don't know how you get... <laughs> machine stuff in hair but this dude is dedicated indeed it also seems to me that sanji is dedicated to fighting without the raid suit still it's got to be like a point of pride or something he's been called judge's son enough times now that he doesn't want to <laughs> further tie him to judge or something yeah i think that made sense so far he just been kind of been bashing around queen without it i mean queen hasn't tried to fight back yet but yeah and queen also hasn't really taken damage like sanji has interrupted queen's attacks sure but queen looks more than fine yeah he doesn't even have like a scorch mark on the top of his head in the picture we see of the full body hybrid form yeah no, no blood anywhere see. yeah been bashed around by all sorts of people for the better part of the last 30 minutes yeah and, uh, totally fine real tanky these dinos before moving on from the whole cyborg man beast thing mm -hmm. uh most of the changes that we see make sense to me for a cyborg as much as cyborgs can make sense but he also just gets a sword and it's a really <laughs> big sword so is he storing it inside his body and just pulling it out like what is that it is my new canon that just like the default form of cyborgs in the one piece universe is just having like a storage system in your tummy frankie <laughs> has it with his refrigerator i'm sure kuma's got it for something and uh queen here stores weapons in there plenty of space with this particular guy so this checks out that's true <laughs> also before moving on from queen and co uh, we do get a sort of confirmation here that we don't know for sure if this is like the research group that had like Vegapunk and Judge in it or not, but at the very least Queen and Judge were on some sort of research group together called MADS a long time ago. So indeed, as suspected, uh, Queen and Judge were an item of sorts back in the day. Yeah, good to have that uh, locked away now. I do also really appreciate that uh, down on this last page here, Queen says, damn it, Judge's son again, to which Sanji responds, don't mention Judge. Also, tell me more about your relationship with Judge. Yeah, like, <laughs> talk about him without using his name and we'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> Classic Sanji with the unreasonable demands. What a guy. Um. He's also not surprised <laughs> when uh, 
Queen, quote-unquote, reveals that he's a cyborg. Uh, it's been pretty clear for some time now, and Sanji is not surprised by it. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know how this is going to play out in the anime. Like, maybe all of the times where we see the obvious, like, extension of things for Queen, maybe that's just a snapshot, and in the anime it happens very quickly, so people aren't supposed to know. <laughs> or maybe this is just one giant gag, and in, in that case, I'm all for it. I'm inclined to believe it's probably going to be option number two. but uh, Well, yes. Queen himself is kind of just a gag character that has been given a lot of beef. Indeed. Real beefy man. Uh, Sanji, just before he starts throwing down with this big, scary, dino cyborg man, just wants to make sure that everything's okay over there with Chopper. Uh, and things are mostly fine with ya boy Choppy. He's looking pretty good. I would have been fine without knowing any of this information on this page, this chapter. Oh, tell me more. Well, I mean, I have questions about the Zoro thing, but also Baby Geezer Chopper. Like, I assume this is temporary, but all that it is is inheriting Gear Fourth's old weakness with like a little twist on it. Uh, yes. And I would also argue that this is less of a downgrade to what just going into monster form used to do, right? Yeah. He used to make him, like, <laughs> totally unable to move for some amount of time, right? And now he's small, and he talks like an old man, and that's it. These yeah. are, like, the... The big scary side effects that Caesar spoke of a few chapters ago. Caesar, if I remember correctly, said, like, are you worried about your looks? So maybe once he goes back, it'll be a more extreme change. Like, maybe, go well, no, it, it wouldn't make any sense for, like, a quick change from the baby form to a regular form to cause, like, whatever, stretch marks or scarring, like... That's what Chopper does. Chopper goes from small form to big form. It wouldn't make any sense for that to be a side effect. So I don't know, man. Maybe in a few minutes it'll swap to Geezer Baby, where he'll look really old, but he'll speak like a child. And that's what Caesar was talking That'd about. That'd be pretty good. Like, he'd be pretty useless then. Uh, if he actually had the brain of a baby, that is. Um, not just speaking like one. Guess they're going to have to administer this medicine really quickly then. I but guess even that not really because Miyagi's there, so whatever. Yeah, like that, that's fine. So about this medicine, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, well, a Zora's gonna die. Like, <laughs> this is that, that seems. Well, it it depends. My question about the medicine is like, so they say that the you know super regeneration great cool zoro needs that but you'll suffer twice as much later i figure that means twice as much of what is being healed in which case yeah zoro basically is going to die or it could in some way mean you suffer twice the amount of damage that you take while in the regenerated form if that makes sense mm -hmm. um so, I, I figure it's the first one, because, but, well, but then what happens to the damage that you take while you're regenerated? Like, is that just stacked on top? I don't know. I would imagine it's just stacked on top. But is it also, like, literally regenerating him? <laughs> Actually putting his body back into one piece? Or is it just, like tricking his body into thinking that it is so that he can fight for a while kind of like what uh, Ivankov's power did for Luffy way well, back then Chopper specifically asks does it have ultra regenerative effects and the goat man says yes but only temporarily so like yes it is regenerative for sure <laughs> that's crazy if true yeah I just it doesn't make sense to me because of all of that and it is a bit deus ex machina and I'm not a fan of that it's also, it seems unnecessary, too, because we've been speculating for a while that between 
Chopper and Marco being somewhere in this room still, I assume, that they would be able to patch Zoro's body back up in a way that he could, you know, fight reasonably well. Or at least run away, dang. Yeah, and then they pull out this super-duper drug that the main has kind of been keeping in their back pockets as a secret. Yeah, it doesn't why? Seem necessary to me. Why? I don't like it. <laughs> Unless it turns out that these side effects, this like suffering twice as much later, is going to be narratively important in some way, which, generally speaking, in the past has not turned out to be true so far. Um, in the story, we haven't seen like long-term effects of like how we were told that using Gear Second too much shortens Luffy's lifespan and getting all those doses of the hormones that Ivankov was giving him back in the day. That's supposed to shorten it too. So far, those things have not become like you know actually important in the story. Well, yeah, they'll but, only be relevant if Luffy makes it to dying of old age, I assume. Right, but. Things of that nature have happened in the past and haven't come up again. And I'm, I've got a suspicion that this Zoro operation is going to fall into that same category. Right. It, it brings to mind, at least for me, the time that Zoro took all the damage that Kuma, like, had removed, right? Like, Zoro is once again yeah. willing to sacrifice his own body, his own well-being, in order to put the crew in a better position. And that's great, but... Narratively, we've gotten this exact thing from Zoro already. Well, not exact. Yeah, it's different. But uh, yeah, he wasn't a mummy man back. Yeah, then. Like, uh, <laughs> it's it's effectively the same. So I'm I'm really not a fan of this move. Sorry, Oda. Uh, how dare he? Yeah, I do like I do like that. Who's whose area seems to like be modeled on a bunch of cat trees. Uh, yeah, I think this place is called, like, the, like, the Cat House Cafe or something like that. Uh, is it really? I didn't, hmm, didn't notice that. I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's, like, something Cat Cafe. Sure. I assume it's run by Who's Who and Co. I'm not sure why Kaido has this place in his house, but <laughs> he does. You gotta get tourists in somehow, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, then we... <laughs> see what you were talking about before uh who's who has a normal size sword sheath that he keeps a tiny dagger in that he uses like a gun <laughs> yeah i don't really understand this blade pistol move like i guess he is just shooting air um but why you got that big sheath what you doing <laughs> That's the main question here. Is he just doing it to be silly? Is that yeah. <laughs> what I well, understand? Doesn't he only use this blade once? He does blade pistol and then he <laughs> just puts it down. Like, all right, I did the thing. <laughs> yeah, he like kicks and and he transforms. <laughs> so I guess it's yeah. a gag weapon. I skipped ahead a little bit, and he doesn't even have the sheath on him. <laughs> does he really <laughs> not? Yeah. It's oh, not no. in any of the other panels that he's in. I guess he literally just tossed it. That's so bizarre. This whole chapter has so many weird things going on. Oh, man. Good old who's who, being a silly boy. Yeah. And then, yeah, Jinbei talks about the six powers, and we find out about who's who being a, a CP something agent, I guess. Indeed. He throws around some of the Sits powers, uh, Soru, the Renkyaku, uh, as they are called in the anime. Yeah, I'm glad you remember those names, because I did not. Don't remember what the Iron Body one is called, uh, or any of the other ones that we don't see in this uh, <laughs> on these two pages. Yeah. Uh, but those two I've got down. Um, <laughs> and Jinbei seeing these reminds him of a story that he heard about a CP9 agent who got out of jail. And Jinbei's like, you know, now that I think about it, it's a little weird that a CP9 agent would be in jail in the first place. Uh, and agreed. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, this, this jail operation, we're kind of forced to conclude 
then either he was not sent to impel down or that he escaped at the same time as like Luffy's jailbreak two years ago. It doesn't especially matter, I think, the timing of it. Except that I was seeing some theories rolling around Reddit recently, uh, today, uh, <laughs> that he escaped along with the rest of the uh, level six escapees that teamed up with Blackbeard, and that perhaps he's here as like an informant for Blackbeard, who infiltrated Kaido's crew, and that's where Blackbeard's getting his information from. Okay, I could see that. For sure, I could see that. I don't know of any ties between them other than that, but... Except for the hypothetical one that I just listed, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. But who's who does seem to, I don't know, kind of like chaos a little bit. So I could see them vibing with old Teach. Uh, it's certainly possible. Haven't seen anything yet that directly contradicts this idea. Um, except that... Why would he kind of be giving this information to Jinbei if he's a spy? Like, why would he reveal that he's a former CP9 agent, that he was in jail, but he doesn't have to? But uh, Well, he's also kind of explaining his backstory a little bit. Like, he, he explains that he was put in jail because he lost the gum-gum fruit. Like, he is, he is mad at luffy and everything about him everything to do with him so like he's just venting about this <laughs> well maybe he did kind of see kaido and luffy coming to a head and he was like well yeah if i'm with kaido chances are i'm gonna get to wreak some havoc on that lad that's possible yeah after seeing all the crud he was doing two years ago yep after uh getting out of jail and it's not Again, not specified when he got out of jail. Right. But if he had access to a newspaper at any point, <laughs> somewhat recently, uh, <laughs> he would have known that this conflict was coming. Yeah. And, uh, well, I don't know. He could. Being a former agent of Cypherpole could lead to a lot of, I don't know, information or opportunities, I guess. Even though it was a while ago. Um, but All yeah. True. We've, we've definitely known One Piece characters to hold the grudges, so a 12-year one isn't all that crazy. Agreed. Uh, speaking of that incident that occurred 12 years ago, he says here that the reason he went to jail is because they were transporting a certain devil fruit. We find out one panel later that it's the gum gum fruit. Uh -huh. It was attacked, and the gum from fruit was stolen from him. And because of that incident, he was imprisoned, right? Yep. We know pretty much that it was Shanks and Co. <laughs> that took the gum gum fruit from him, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of solves a question that wasn't really a question from back in Chapter 1. So that's all well and good. Yeah, sure, sure. Good job, Oda. Uh, but then it creates this this concern I've got about there being a greater significance to Luffy having specifically that devil fruit that uh, yeah. gets us closer and closer to Luffy being some sort of chosen one territory than I would like us to get close to. But Yeah, I've always appreciated the lack of the whole chosen one uh storyline like i don't know luffy really does just like to beat people up and have a really good heart and that's always been enough but this is a weird little twist maybe indeed now it's not necessarily the case that there's a greater significance to the gum gum fruit but then why add any significance at all <laughs> yeah exactly and the fact that this, like, up-and-coming, like, super genius CP9 agent 
got imprisoned over losing specifically this fruit uh, definitely says to me as though the world government had specific interest in that one, you know. I don't think they would have done this over like the the chop chop fruit <laughs> or any other schmuck devil fruit out there, you know. Yeah, and it, it's weird because like, what is rubber like inherently good against? Electricity, and we've done that one already <laughs> many times. As a matter of fact, in this article. yeah, yeah. So like, what is it? Another electricity based thing that they have on their side that they're like, well, that would be kind of a bad matchup for that can't let that out there but we haven't seen anything like that mm. I, I don't get so much of what seems to have been introduced <laughs> in this chapter the only other thing that I can think of if it's not like they want to prevent people from having like a hard counter against one of our weapons or something is that perhaps the significance is that someone important from the past previously had the gum gum fruit right oh kind of like the whole ace and sabo thing yeah and the only two like potential candidates that i could think of just considering it today was roger which i don't think is going to be the case otherwise people like that would be barkers yeah <laughs> people like garp sengoku like everybody in the world probably would know and recognize Luffy's ability when he started showing it off, right? Like, yeah, and they would have <laughs> they would have said something about that. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, another option that would only, in theory, be privy to perhaps the upper echelons of the world government is if maybe Joy Boy had the gum gum fruit back in the day. Oh, That's not like common knowledge that Joy Boy even exists. But the world government, if they had something to do with the void century probably would know if that were the case like the the gorosei for example uh might have known and might want to cover up that connection by hiding the gum gum fruit away in mary joar something i don't know um that's interesting i like that i don't know if it really holds any water but i like it <laughs> just speculating here mm -hmm. but if that's the case, that just creates more and more parallels between Luffy and the original Joy Boy uh, that I don't think need to be there. I think we've kind of beaten that horse to death by this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's a very important guy. We get it. Indeed. But this also isn't the only like chosen one Luffy thing that's been introduced even recently. Like we already know there's a great big straw hat in yeah <laughs> in the holy land or whatever so that's already getting us pretty close but we're really getting deeper and deeper the more times these things happen yeah luffy's always been a pretty lucky guy but that hasn't been enough to really tip it into chosen one territory though saying it like that kind of made probably a nonsense idea popped in my head but you know who's kind of at the center of both of those chosen one things we just described? Buggy. The straw hat and you got me there, buggy. <laughs> no, uh, no. Uh, Shanks is. Shanks gave him the straw hat and indirectly gave him the fruit, right? Yeah. So maybe it's not so much like a chosen one operation, but like you and I like to speculate sometimes that Shane says sinister motives, right? Yep. Maybe all this time, certain from when he was a wee lad, uh, Shane's has been like grooming Luffy for something <laughs> all this time. Oh, I could totally, totally see that. I like Shanks as a character, but I do not trust him. He is still a pirate that is <laughs> extremely powerful and been around for too long to be 100% trustworthy. And he's in with the Gorosei. Yep. They stopped what they were doing and gave him an audience just because he showed up in Astro One. <laughs> Even during Reverie. Yeah, hmm. this dude, and, and he traveled with Roger, so like, he would have all sorts of inside information. Hmm. Suspicious. Hmm. If it ends up going that route, I think I'd be willing to forgive 
I mean, it's not that big a deal, but... Sure. But making a chosen one as opposed to stumbling upon a chosen one is at least more interesting. Exactly. Um, that pretty much sums up my thoughts on this matter. Anything else you had to say about this chapter as a whole before we pop into the reread? <laughs> no. Uh, very good. Next chapter will drop in one week, and for now we will hop into our reread. to 2.28, which is pretty much from a ship falling out of the sky to trying to do the opposite of that. (laughs) Very good. I like that description a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Skypia remains in my head, at least, as a very good, albeit long, arc. Uh, So I am excited to, like, get into this. However, the first ten chapters, like, yeah, it's got a bit of lore and and some characters are introduced, but nothing terribly exciting. Um, But there are a few things that I noticed that I thought were pretty good. For instance, very early on in the arc, we get confirmation of Robin's archaeological skills when the, uh, the bones fall from the sky and she's able to, you know accurately date when well we assume accurately date (laughs) when they were from and like very quickly everyone's impressed that's cool and also we see Usopp's ingenuity as an engineer front and center as well with the dive suits like he whips those up out of nowhere very limited supplies and they're pretty dang effective yeah he like rids up a like air pump system to (laughs) make sure they got air going down there it's very impressive and i feel like both those things are kind of overarching things for skypea um like it is an archaeologist's dream robin obviously has wanted to go there for probably since she heard about it uh and Usopp, once he gets there, he just gets all these ideas and upgrades and everything from the engineering. So it's like, it's really nice that Oda laid those seeds. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Uh, kind of pity-batty off Robin's archaeological skills. I also think it's neat that, like, right off the hop here, Oda's like, all right, she's joining the crew, right? Let's go ahead and dive into what her dream is right now. Uh, her dream is to find the the Rio Poneglyph. I think it's called the Real Poneglyph in the Viz translation, at least early on. But it's interesting because it could just be that Rod, like Oda, hadn't considered this as a concept yet. But the way Robin describes it, there's just one of those suckers. Uh, but we find out way, way later. I think it was like early Whole Cake Island, so not all that long ago. Uh, that there are actually nine of those suckers when pieced together form, like, the true history. So maybe Robin just didn't know. Maybe Oda just hadn't considered that yet. Uh, But as of this point, she thinks there's just one. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter either way. Like, it's, it it could be, it is interesting no matter what. Um, Yeah, that's, that's true. I'd forgotten about the multiple Pontyglyphs, though. I think it's also very fun just how easily she manages to win over the crew, considering she was a foe, like, yesterday. Like, the number two foe behind Crocodile himself. Gives Nami some cash. Easy win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think it, it really all boils down to Luffy saying that she's not a bad person. Like, nobody else on the crew needs anything else other than that like yeah other things did happen of course because it was funnier that way but like Luffy, like luffy knows based off of uh their interaction in alabasta like she saved him what three times at least maybe uh, yeah, um, something like that yeah so like he knew and yeah yeah all of any of them would uh rather die than go against him so no question about it (laughs) quite so uh after the crew goofs around with a monkey man for a little bit 
they make their way to Mocktown and meet Bellamy, who's just a really good guy. Indeed. Everybody's friend, beloved by all, including you, I'm pretty sure. You tell oh, me yeah. all the time about how he's your number two favorite guy. Worse than Sanji, better than Robin. That's what you said. <laughs> wow, I can't believe you would definitely actually quote me right now. Um, but yeah, this dude's here and he's a total jerk forever. Like he, I don't know, he beats the crap out of Zora and Luffy because, well, they have taken a stance not to fight because Luffy has finally decided to listen to... Uh, let's see, Shanks and Nami and the barkeep. <laughs> In this one moment, he's like, okay, three people is enough to make me actually do something. <laughs> it was the barkeep adding his voice to the mix that uh, really oh, yeah. put him over the edge. He's like, all right, this guy made me some bad cherry pies, but some good meat and a good drink. Uh, so I'm really going to take his words to heart right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Bellamy's there, and he just uh, really gives it to him, which, you know, makes me glad to know that he gets what's coming to him later on, but that'll have to wait. Uh, you mentioned the cherry pies, which was a beloved treat of our boy uh, Blackbeard, which is uh, fine, I guess. Like, um, that I... I I don't know how I actually feel about this, but it seems like in this introduction, not not the actual introduction with the pies and the meat, but then later when Luffy and Co. leave the bar and Blackbeard's like, oh, what are you mad about? They won. Like, it almost seems like this is one of those, wow, they could have been friends in another life thing. Like, they share similar ideals on dreams but really it's not that like blackbeard is so much the antithesis of luffy that i don't i don't think it ever could have been a good thing uh i agree definitely no chance that luffy and blackbeard ever would have been buds um but i think that this scene from the cherry pies onward does a pretty good job of setting up the differences between luffy and blackbeard we don't know at this point just how sinister blackbeard ends up to be but uh between the cherry pie thing and the drink and all that crud uh i think it does a pretty good job of setting up and showcasing how similar luffy and blackbeard are in terms of attitude like you were saying but having very different tastes and thus very different outlook as we find out later on as Blackbeard's character is fleshed out more and more. It just gives people a very simple, clear-cut way of seeing these two people are similar but also very different. So, Yeah, and we also with our power of foresight uh, know that the others of his crew that we meet are just, you know, very bad dudes again. <laughs> The dude with the exploding apples and the guy who just shoots seagulls for fun. Neither of them are people I would invite to a party. That's all that I'm saying. How about the uh, the bad Dr. Pants shittier horse? Oh, man, this him? dude this dude gave me some real Don Quixote vibes, and I only got like <laughs> 150 pages into that book before I said, yeah, I get it, I'm done here. <laughs> oh, man. Poor Doc Q. Uh, I do think it's neat that they, like, sprinkled those guys in, like, just kind of, like, as side characters, just help set up the setting, basically. Uh, same thing with Blackbeard to a certain extent. And then it turns out, bam, all those guys are actually connected. They're all pals doing super cool Blackbeard things, and I'm sure won't end up getting people that we know and love dead. Oh, no way. Definitely not going to happen. That wouldn't happen. Blackbeard wouldn't do anything like that. He's a nice no. guy. He yeah. believes in dreams. So. <laughs> oh yeah we'll we'll check in with blackbeard eventually i'm sure <laughs> right while bellamy is being a jerk about sky island um he name drops both el dorado and the emerald city 
Do you think this is a translation thing, or do you think there are some crossovers uh, in the stories told between our universe and One Piece? I'm trying to think back, because when I first would have read this, it definitely would have been the stands um, back in the day on one manga and all that. Mm. I can't remember how they described it, um, but I don't think it was called El Dorado. <laughs> so, okay, uh, so you... I'm inclined to think this is a localization thing, so we uh, more understand uh, yeah. the comparison being made. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, in this chunk, we get the reveal that Sanji is indeed originally from the North Blue, which mm-hmm. takes so long to pay off. <laughs> and it's really just a throwaway line here. Like... Just, oh, yep, okay, moving on. Great. This whole section is, like, littered with stuff that people think was, like, foreshadowing of Sanji's full backstory, like, 800 chapters later. And people like to point to that little bit where he's, like, looking at the broken picture of the lady when they're yep. underwater. Like, oh, that's Sanji thinking about his mom because that lady kind of looks like her. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this bit towards the end of our chunk of chapters, I think it's in, like, the last chapter that we read this week uh crickets going on about how like he's like in a fight with his like ancestor like doesn't want to be defined by like the behavior of his family you know all that stuff while sanji is sitting in the forward round just like all blank face and just smoking a cigarette or something people think there that oh oda was hinting that sanji's got a relationship with his family like that you know people that things that people like to retroactively assign meaning to you know yeah like saying someone has a relationship with family is nothing that's all that <laughs> shonen manga is like it's relationships with people and then beating up other people mm-hmm. so i mean i i love a good goda comment like <laughs> but this ain't this ain't one of them i don't think folks probably not Uh, I actually don't have too much else on this. I've got two final things. One of them being that I don't understand the Monkey Brothers. I'm pretty sure uh, Shoujo claimed he was human. And the other one didn't die in the sea when he was, like, kicked into it. So it's not Devil Fruit related. So, So why are they monkeys? I think that just by fortunate or fortunate happenstance, depending on your outlook, uh, they just kind of looked like monkeys, and they just kind of (laughs) embraced that part of themselves and kind of functioned or formed their aesthetic around it. And I think that's kind of the long and the short of it. Okay. That's a little weird, but I accept. (laughs) Uh, And the other note is actually more of an addendum to our Alabasta discussions, because we for sure talked about uh, two million rebels being an absurd amount. But in an SBS, Oda points out that uh, Alabasta has a population of 10 million. So two million's not that crazy, right? (laughs) Sure, Oda. That's definitely how this works. Indeed. I mean, he, in that same bit, basically said that he just wanted to make it clear that it was a, a major uprising. Yeah. Um, you know, fair it's enough. It's just like he jumped the guns, or, or what, <laughs> jumped the shark? He, he did both. <laughs> he jumped a shark with a gun. Yeah, I don't know if the shark has the gun, or if he does, it's bad news no matter what. This is America, so odds are both. It's not America for him, but sure. <laughs> True. Um, He's visiting for some indeed. reason. God, stay away, please. <laughs> Quite so. Uh, I didn't have anything else specific to discuss. Just kind of mm-hmm. wanted to talk about how I consider. Like I think you mentioned early on, that nothing of like particular note happens early on, and that is true. At this point in the story. But I right. think that Jaya, as a setup arc, is very good. It sets up a whole bunch of little mysteries 
uh, that, you know, at the time don't seem like anything, right? But everything that's set up this early on gets an explanation way later down the line. It's all very cathartic. Like the old ship falling out of the sky. Uh, I don't, we'll go into like what those things mean as they become meaningful. Um, but to go over like the, the things that are being set up here, like the old ship falling from the sky, the giants that are like way bigger <laughs> than any yeah. other giant ever. Uh, even that vehicle that Luffy found that isn't even like discussed. We just see it. Yeah. It hasn't even been called a vehicle yet. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. He just like sees it, pulls it up with them and it's just in a pile of junk <laughs> yeah. to be expanded upon later. Um, and even how they hype up Sky Island as a legendary place that most people don't even believe exists. Uh, Bellamy offers a counter theory to so the knock-up stream, like launching ships into the sky and the Lord pose is breaking. But then our boys go there. They they make history, pretty much, by proving all these people wrong. And none of that would be as exciting as it turns out to be if we didn't have people like Bellamy poo-pooing their their dreams and beating the shit out of them just for having them pretty much yeah it's it's nice that the the whole arc kind of starts with a mini mystery like we're not we're not used to seeing the straw hats in this sort of situation like they don't always know what they're going towards but they pretty much know where they're going like Nami especially, when she gets made fun of in the bar, that is, that that was completely out of left field. Like, that does not happen. The Straw Hat crew is usually pretty confident, and people see that and respect it. So it, it is, it's a great start to an arc where they are already being underestimated. Like, and, and they aren't even allowed to show off any of their prowess because of some self-imposed restrictions but like it does make the payoff of the actual arc so much more rewarding yeah uh agreed on all accounts that's pretty much all i had to say just wanted to talk about uh things in more broad terms for a hot second zip no break next week uh i'm sorry if it felt as though we just kind of shit on the entire new chapter that came out um Hey, maybe people will like that. You never know. <laughs> maybe. Uh, just have some concerns about what it means for the future of the series is all. I think it's interesting that this gum gum fruit might have higher significance. I'm just wary of uh, where it goes. Um, and, of course, you express that you feel the same as well. Well, yeah, I'm always wary, and you know that. <laughs> True. Uh, but no break next week. We'll be back to discuss the exciting new chapter, no doubt, when it drops on July 4th. We'll talk to you guys then. Bye-bye.